0: The following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10 15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Um, question for you. I, I just like, I, I, it just seems to help, kind of gets the blood flowing. We've done it for a number of weeks now of just a little bit of participation, and, and all right? And one of these days, it's going to be more than raising your hands just to prepare you, all right? But not today. Today, all you have to do is, is raise your hand. Now, here, here's the question for for us for today. First of all, um, will, will, have you ever asked someone if you can pray for them? Have you ever have you ever done that before? If so, raise your hand. Okay, okay, very good, very good. Okay, now to follow that question, here's another one: Have you ever had someone refuse your offer to pray for them? Anybody? One, couple. Okay, that's kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking that with the first question, there will be a lot of hands going up. With the second question, there would be. Much fewer hands going up and there's a reason for that. And the reason is this. And and I'll tell you what, if, if you want to do your own analysis, you want to do your own survey, go to Walmart sometime, just start asking people if you can there's something you can pray about for them in their lives. And I would be willing to bet that after the their shock light goes over like, Wow, you don't know me. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That very few of them will say, No, I'd rather you not pray. For me, that, that just seems to be the way it works. There are very few people that get offended at the offer to pray for them. Matter of fact, people, even those who have nothing to do with God in their personal life, nothing to do with his son in their life, most times will welcome the prayers of people, sometimes strangers, and the work of that prayer in their lives. There's something to that. And, and that's not what we're going to, I better move this. I can tell you right now, I'm going I'm to slip on that thing and it'll get all kinds of exciting. Um, there's something to the fact that people who have nothing or want nothing to do with God have no problem with someone praying for them. There's something about that. Now that's not, that, that's a whole other sermon that could probably be dove into on some level, and actually has a little bit to do with what we're going to look at today, but I'm not going to chase that squirrel right now, we, you know I chase squirrels occasionally, uh, but that's not one that we're going to chase right now. Today we're going to look at a specific prayer, or type of prayer, I mean we're going to look at one specifically, alright? Alright. That, that can and should be offered regularly by us to God. Offered for ourselves personally and offered for others too. Before we dive into that specific type of prayer, let's just think for a moment of the different types of prayers from scripture that we offer before God. I would say that there are times we offer prayers to God for guidance. Like spiritual guidance, or, or maybe guidance with the decision that needs to be made. Right? There is scriptural foundation for offering that prayer. Absolutely. There are prayers that we offer at times that have to do with protection. Right? Um, it's seen, it's, it's interesting in our culture because our culture in this day, in this time, is, is rather tame, most, for the most part, when it comes to Wearing the name Christian. So, our prayers for protection often come in the form of traveling mercies, that sort of thing. Maybe, maybe that. Maybe prayers for protection for someone that you know who's in a different part of the world, whose culture that they're in the middle of, whether it be because of the military or because of the mission field, is a little bit different than the culture we're used to. And we pray prayers of protection for them. There is, there is absolutely big biblical precedence for that. Alright, uh, prayers for deliverance. Deliverance maybe from an illness, maybe from a disease, maybe from prison. I don't know. Uh, deliverance from things that there's biblical precedence for that. Prayers for provision that, that God would provide for our needs. Now, I don't know if there's very much biblical precedence for wants. Although, don't be careful with that. But there's absolutely biblical precedence for praying for our needs. Now, here's an interesting one. Did you know that there is also biblical precedent for praying for success? Success. All right? You can find it right in Scripture that there is a precedent for that. Now, the prayer that we're going to talk about today is none of those. And I'd be willing to bet that those of us in this room who have prayed quite regularly have probably prayed for all those things at some point in time. Sometimes quite regularly, quite often. What we're going to look at today is a prayer for what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about moving on, right? We talked about moving on in life. We talked about maybe that sometimes that means forgetting for what lies in the past, pressing on for what is ahead of us. We looked at Philippians. Well, today we're going to tie that together with the prayer that goes along with that. When I say moving on prayer, I'm not talking about the prayer of, of, you know, a heartbroken 22-year-old who just had their world destroyed, you know, when Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect said, No, I am not your Mrs. Perfect, all right? That's not the moving on prayer that I'm referring to, all right? This moving on prayer looks completely different. This moving on prayer today is this. It's a prayer... For spiritual maturity. Last week we talked all about spiritual maturity. Today we're going to talk about praying for that. You see, um, in this prayer for spiritual maturity. Well, just one second. You know what I did? And it threw me off completely. I picked up two pieces of paper instead of one. I was like, wait a minute. We're going to have a five-minute sermon here, all right? And you're just like, why did you catch that, preacher? We could have. We've been out of here in no time. All right, sorry about that. A um, little bit about it, the, book of, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was a letter written by Paul to a church in Ephesus. Ephesians was one of what we call, as we've looked at these quite a bit here lately, one of the prison epistles. In other words, Paul wrote this from prison, all right? Ephesians, the book of Ephesians actually lines up quite closely, um, topically, with the book of Colossians. Both of them were written very close, pretty close to the same time. His same imprisonment, he wrote both of these letters. Um, let me tell you something about Paul. You might think I am, well, I take it by, I, I'm in good company. I like to chase squirrels. Paul was an avid squirrel chaser. And I can tell you that, I, I was thinking, do they, have, do they have squirrels in Palestine? I was wondering, and I, you know, that's important enough that I looked it up this week, okay? Uh, they used to have squirrels. They're extinct now. It was called the Caucasian squirrel, okay? And apparently Paul was quite an avid chaser of these things. Because when you look at the letter written to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15, he starts a prayer that he never finishes because he chases a squirrel, all right? And he starts talking about something else. You ever been there before? Have you ever been praying and forgot that you were praying and then have to come back to it? Have you been there? It's not a bad thing, really. After all, we're told to to continue our communication with God constantly, all right? So it's okay if we pause that conversation for a little bit and go to know. Well, no. Paul was pretty good at this, all right? 115, he starts a prayer. He got distracted, all right? Oh, you get back to chapter 3, verse 1, comes full back circle. He's like, oh, I was praying, Okay, so he goes back to that prayer in, in chapter 3, verse 1, and another, another Caucasian squirrel went right across in front of him, and boy, he, he can't help himself. He followed it, and he chased it, all right? And then we finally, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, get the conclusion to the sermon, or to the sermon, that's what it was, to the prayer that he tried to start, carry on with, and conclude three times already. So, we finally get to the conclusion in chapter 3, verse 14. And the reason I tell you that is because typically when you see Paul start something like this, for this reason, you look to the verses before it to find out the reason. That won't help you here. You've got to look a long ways before the few verses before it to find his for the reason. His for the reason is this. He's back to praying mode again. Okay. Let's just look through this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you as we look at these few verses together. I'm going to stop regularly. Not to chase squirrels. This is planned. All right. Um, because we're just going to talk our way through this passage of scripture. And then we're going to pull some things from it practically speaking that I can think can help us in daily life. When it comes to growing in Christ and our prayers to God for him to help make that happen. All right, Ephesians, you can find it right in the middle of your New Testament. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, this is what it says. Paul writing. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Um, This prayer that he's about to pray, I don't think that we we should take prayers and rate them as far as how good they are (laughs) but this is good okay this is a prayer that could probably be modeled by us in our lives and that doesn't mean rip it out of scripture and just verbatim say it but to pray with the heart with which he prays here is pretty impressive and he says before he even starts he says I get this is important enough that I get on my knees before God to pray this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I think that has a little something to do with the reason why there are very few people who will refuse prayer in their lives, even if they have nothing to do with God, as we spoke about a moment ago. There, there, there is a connection on some level there. I pray that he, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. All right, there's something that's also unique about this prayer. You're going to see the three parts, the three... It's difficult to explain the Trinity. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to do it. But God is three in one, all right? You have the three, if you will... They're separate entities, but they're all part of God. You have the Father, you have the Spirit, and you have the Son. And in this prayer, you see all three of them playing a very important role. And what you see here, first of all, is the Spirit. Now, if you if you treat your Bible um, like, like a living textbook, all right, and you like to write in it, this is a good time to write, okay? And, and this is what I did in my I circled Spirit there in verse 16. I'm not telling you you have to do that. But this is what I did. And then I I drew an arrow to strengthen. Because that is what Paul is praying for the spirit to do in the lives of the Christian people in the town of Ephesus. First and foremost, right here at the beginning, he says, "I pray that he, meaning God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man" So spirit, you connect that to strengthen. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. One thing for a second. Paul, if you don't know this, was very good at run-on sentences. Very, very good. It's like, I'm not quite done yet, so I'm just going to slap a comma on there. All right, And we're just going to keep on going. Okay, you know anybody who does that? They just, it's like, done, no, not done, done, not done, not done. Everybody has somebody at a family reunion who who's good at run-on sentences, okay? Paul was very good at this. All right, so in verse 17, again, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love he kind of gets off the point. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ. I hope that you're seeing what Christ in this prayer is connected to. Circle, circle, circle Christ in your Bible. All right. If, if that's what you do. And then in verse 17 and again in verse 19, draw an arrow to love. That's what he's praying for. He's praying, he's praying that you would be rooted and grounded in this love. He's using agricultural terminology here as well as construction terminology. This was a, a rural part of the world, you know. And saying, rooted, guys, if if you know anything about agriculture, horticulture, whatever you want to call it. The root of anything is vital for the life of the plant. And he says this, I pray that you will be rooted In the love of Christ. That that the love of Christ, he says here, will ground you, establish you. Maybe your Bible has that. It's talking about the foundation of your life. Be the love of Jesus Christ. So spirit, what did we have with spirit? Spirit was for what? Strength. Absolutely. To strengthen in the inner part of who we are. More about that here in a moment. The connection with Christ? Love. But he's not done yet. Verse 19, he says, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Think about that. The love of Christ, its length, its height, its depth in verse 18. He goes on about the love of Christ here. And then he says this, This love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Think about that for just a moment. This is what Paul is praying for Christian people. Do you realize how big of a prayer that is? Do do we realize how big God is? And what he's saying here is that you would be filled up with the fullness of God. You know what Jesus says about the relationship he has with his father and how that is connected to the relationship the father has with us through him. In John 14, this is basically what he says. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You will love my father and I and my father will come and make our abode with you. Understand that for a moment. The all-powerful God who made everything around us that we see that holds it all together through his son. The God who fathoms everything. The God who knows everything. The all-powerful God living within his people. So we have here what Paul is praying for. He says, I pray that by the Spirit you will be strengthened. So that you will have, you will be grounded by the love of Christ. And he doesn't stop there so that you will be made full by God in his fullness. Now this is a huge prayer. So this is how he concludes this prayer in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. You know, this verse gets ripped out of context so much. I mean, it's like God's able to do so much beyond what we could ask or think. I asked God that I'd win the Kansas lottery, and I won the Powerball. You know, that's how God works, all right? So far beyond we can even imagine or think. Now, we we have the tendency to kind of rip that out of Scripture when what that is talking about. First of all, now to him who not will do far more beyond all we ask or think, but who is able to do far more and beyond what we ask and think and imagine. But don't rip it out of the context of what's going on here. What Paul is praying for is that we would be filled by God. That we would know the love of Jesus Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That we would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And he says this, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And what we thus conclude is one of the most amazing prayers ever uttered in scripture by Paul for Christian people that by the power of the Spirit we'd be strengthened, that we would know the love of Jesus Christ, which surpasses so much, and that we would be filled by God himself. Guys, what this has to do with everything, what this has to do is our spiritual growth in this world because that is not an easy thing. So we're going to get very, very practical here. If If you like practicality, you like notes, this is the time for you, all right? When it comes to spiritual growth, it is written all over this passage of scripture. Spiritual growth happens from the inside out. I pray that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, be strengthened with the power of his spirit in the inside. Okay? Guys, this is what happens so much for well-intending people like me and like you is we see growing in Christ as a matter of determination. <laughs> All right. I'm going to work hard at it. I want to look more like Jesus. I hope that's our prayer. I hope that's our desire to look more like Jesus in this world. And I'm going to work hard at it. If that is our main, if that is the main fuel that we're putting into our gas tank, it's not going to happen, guys. Spiritual growth is not a matter simply of willpower. Why don't you turn over to Philippians? You got first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So it's only going to be a couple pages for you, all right? And it's amazing when we're talking about spiritual growth, there's a reason why we've We've, we've, we've looked at Colossians, we looked at Philippians, we looked at Ephesians. For one thing, they were all written from, by Paul when he was in prison. And so much of them has to do with this thought of growing in Christ. So, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. If, if you're falling into the trap of thinking, I will look more like Christ because I'm a very determined person, and I'm going to work really hard at it, all right? <laughs> Highlight these in your Bible. This is what it says, so then my beloved, just if you've always obeyed, not only as in my presence, and my presence only, but now more in my absence, works out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's like, well, that just says it right there, preacher. We're supposed to work out our salvation. It says work out our salvation. So that's what we're doing. We're working really hard at it. But look what it says in the next verse. For it is me that's in work at me, right? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and work, for his good pleasure. Spiritual growth is not something. Now, don't get me wrong. We have to want to look like Jesus in this world. But we also have to understand it's God who brings about the change in our lives and helps us to look more and more like Jesus. Something else we need to understand about spiritual growth happening from the inside out is this. Spiritual growth is impacted by what I do and who I'm with. Okay, so so even though this this starts on the inside, do not forget that it has something to do with what's taking place on the outside as well. Spiritual growth is impacted by what I do and who I am with. First Corinthians fifteen thirty three. You you might not have known. You thought this is just mom who told you this, but this is Bible. All right, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals thought that was grandma who said that well grandma was quoting Paul okay do not be deceived bad company corrupts good morals and then even Solomon had something to say about this in the old testament he who walks with wise men will be wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm all right so what's that mean preachers does that mean that we we all join monasteries and become monks is that what we do and remove ourselves from the world No, no 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 that's not what we do. We cannot do that. You take all of God's people out of the world, and the world's going to be in a pretty bad, pretty bad place. But there's something we have to remember, because we cannot and should not remove ourselves from the world completely. We need to remember this. Why don't you turn? We're going to be bouncing around a little bit. This one I'll have you read with me. comes out of Hebrews it's not going to be that far over to the right in your Bibles. Some of you already know where we're going with this one. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. The author of Hebrews had something to say about church. It's what the author says. Hebrews 10 25. Not forsaking our own assembling of together. As in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What the author is saying right there is that church is important for us. And one of the main reasons church is important for us is because of the company that we will find there. Because it's difficult to live in the world and to live for Jesus In the world sometimes. Therefore we need. We desperately need. The encouragement. And the examples. Of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we remove ourselves. From either one of those groups. The world. Or the church. We will not be fulfilling. What is needed for us to continue to grow in Christ. And impact the world for Jesus. What I'm saying is, don't forget, church. There are no lone rangers in God's kingdom. We need each other. Spiritual growth happens from the inside out, but understand there is an out also, and we need the encouragement of one another to stay on the road that we need to stay on in growing in Christ. Here's another one, though. Keep this one in mind. Very important. Spiritual maturity is a process, not an event. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome is if we step out of the waters of baptism and we maturity wise are exactly what God sees us to be immediately. And what I'm saying is this when we step out of the watery grave brand new when God sees us he sees perfection because he sees Jesus. That's what he sees. Wouldn't it be awesome if that is what everyone else saw too? <laughs> if it was just if it was just simply an event like boom, you're there. You're there, you're complete, you're mature. Good job. That's not the way it works though. Proverbs 24:16. I will read this one for you, okay? I'm sorry, Mom, I didn't mark all these in my Bible, and we're bouncing around quite a bit. Proverbs twenty four sixteen. if you'd like to turn there, that'd be great, but you don't need to. I'll read it for you. Says this, this is one that maybe all of us need to highlight in our Bibles. For a righteous man, a righteous person falls seven times and rises again. You know, one of the things I pray more than anything else for new believers is this, when they end up on their face, frustrated with themselves, that that they would understand they are forgiven, God loves them, and that they would get back up on their feet and continue to walk on. Because, guys, spiritual maturity is a process it is not an event and it calls for patience with ourselves sometimes. But you know what it calls more for? Patience with others. Understanding that that person you're frustrated with right now is human still, okay? And he or she's going to mess up. And we need to love them and help them get back up on their feet. And continue on this walk of growing into Christ. That's, it's that's why Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, we looked at it a few weeks ago. All right, We looked at it on a Wednesday night. I love looking at it on Wednesday night because we got to dig into it. It's my favorite passage of scripture in all the Bible. And it talks about being transformed by God. It talks about being transformed by renewing of our mind. Guys, I don't, that takes time. You know something else that Paul talks about in the book of Romans. And I'm going to chase a squirrel, all right? Because he brought it up. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about grafting. Not drafting, grafting, all right? And grafting in this, he talks about how God has his tree, it is rooted in Christ, and how God took the Gentiles and added them to it. It it, it used to be the Jews. Um, There's still some Jews there, but there's some Jews who refused. So that branch got cut off and took another branch and put it in. And if you've been on Wednesday nights, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? Now, follow along with me. Anybody here ever done anything with... I asked on a Wednesday night, and I didn't get any hints. Anybody ever done anything with gardening or anything or with orchards and done grafting before? Got a few of you. All right. All right, where you're taking... Basically, grafting is this. Um, I have an apple tree here, but I want that apple tree to grow a different kind of apple than it grows. So I want to keep growing the other apples, but I want to grow this apple too. So I'm going to put a branch off this tree. Now, they've got to be somewhat closely connected for this to work. All right? And then before you know it, if everything works right, which I've been told it's very difficult to make everything work right, you're going to have a tree in a couple years that makes two types of apples. As you know, you can go to Gurney's and they have like these weird trees that produce like eight different types of fruit in one tree. And that's like weird, all right? But it's absolutely true. But there's other types of grafting that takes place, namely one of the ones that's most important. Anybody here ever eaten a navel orange before? Doesn't have any seeds, people. There's a, there, there are no seeds. That's why we like them, because I cannot stand spitting a seed out of my mouth when I'm eating an orange. It's disgusting, okay? We've been so spoiled by the navel orange. All right, here's the question. If it doesn't have any seeds, how do they grow the trees? Birds and the bees, folks, I know a little bit about it. you got to have some seed. Well, what they do is there's no such thing as a navel orange seed. There's not. So instead of grafting one little branch in a tree, they graft a whole bunch. And what you have, if the process works right, is this tree becomes a navel orange tree. But here's the point. You've got to take very good care of that tree because this is what happens. The old orange tree that has seeds that nobody wants, all right, Below the graft line, you know what it'll starts trying to do? It'll start sprouting out branches all over because that tree's stubborn, and it's like I don't really like these seedless oranges. If these seedless oranges, those ones aren't allowed. I'm not going to have any kids, all right? So it's trying to sprout out some other branches here, and what the orchard, the farmer, whatever you want to call the orchard keeper, he's got going. He's got to whack those things off. All the time. Got to keep on whacking those dumb things off. Does that paint any sort of picture of the old life before Jesus took over for you? I know it does for me. Because you see, when Jesus, Jesus is the vine. He's he's the branches. We are the branches. But in this picture painted... Like this navel orange tree, in my life, I take Jesus, I put him into, he puts himself, and I'm a part of that too, into my life. But this is what happens, the old self keeps on wanting to rear its head back up again. And it's not easy, but I've got to whack that off. Again and again. And to think I've got to understand spiritual maturity is a process, it's not an event. And it hurts sometimes to grow more and more into what Christ wants us to look like. And finally, folks, maybe the most important thing is this. The goal of spiritual maturity, the goal of it is progress, not perfection. Guys, we looked at this just last week, but I want to read through it again. Comes from Philippians. If you're still there in Ephesians. Like I said it's just a few pages over. Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 through 15. It's the exact passage we looked at just last week. Guys understand who's writing this. Paul. I know that we want to put Paul on a pedestal. But Paul is not Jesus. And Paul would hate us he would despise us putting him on that pedestal and by the time Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians he had been at this Jesus thing for quite a while and you would think that on that he's doing pretty good that guy looks like Jesus and this is what this is what Paul says about himself he says not that I've already obtained and already become perfect but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. And then he says it again. Brothers, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upper call of Christ Jesus. Paul was still working at it. He was still being transformed from the inside out. He had been at it a while, but he was not there yet. And this is it. The one who will finish the job of perfecting us is not us. Our part in this is progress. The role of perfecting us is Christ. That's his job. And he will complete it one day. And folks, when that day comes, he will take away the body that argues with us heard me talk about that before. Does that excite you at all to think that the day is coming? Now it's going to be in the new kingdom, in the new world, to have a body that no longer argues with you. Jesus will complete that process. Our responsibility until that day comes is this. Progress. Progress. One step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And folks, there's something that we have to understand. Spiritual maturity is not getting easier in the culture we live in to cultivate. It's not. I don't know about you, but in the culture that we live in, sometimes my mindset gets a little mixed up. And I get one foot grounded a little bit too firmly in this world that is not my home. And I begin to get agitated about things that probably shouldn't agitate me about the culture that I live in. You know why? The culture I live in, in this nation is not God's kingdom. It's a baby nation that's been around for not very long. And sometimes I get so wrapped up in that, and I get so agitated, that I stop looking like Jesus in that culture And start looking like a side of a political argument. (laughs) Because guys, the culture that we live in does not, it's not supposed to look like the other culture that I live in. The other culture that I live in is God's kingdom. And sometimes I get those things confused. And I'm looking at people To be honest with you, who have no business living in accordance with my mindset. They don't even have Jesus in their life. How in the world can I look upon an individual who does not look like me? Not in physical appearance, but in the way that they present themselves to the world. Maybe sexually. Maybe morally. Maybe politically. And I'm looking down my nose at them saying, why can't they just live the way they're supposed to live? What is their motivation? They don't have Jesus. I hope this makes sense to you, what I'm trying to get across here. You see, if I get myself so divided, and look down my nose so far it becomes very difficult to look upon a person I don't agree with and look upon them with love. I know what you're thinking, so we just keep our mouths shut about the truth, about what we know is right? No, that's not what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying, Ephesians 4.15. I'm going to start with verse 14. By the way, this is just the next chapter of what we looked at today. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by the trickery of men or the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But look at this, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. It is our responsibility to stand up for what's right, absolutely. But it is our responsibility even more to take that stand in love and absolutely positively loving the people who don't agree with us politically, morally. Because the truth will cut them to ribbons when it is not presented in love. Guys, it is a huge responsibility to take a stand for what is right and lovingly understand the opposition when they do not agree. I'm going to tell you right now, that is not easy in this world we live in. But it is completely necessary that when we stand for the truth, we do it in love. Because the truth when not combined with love, will not save anyone. So with that task before us, brothers and sisters, how important, just how important, is praying for our spiritual maturity? (laughs) It's hugely important. Would you stand with me, please?